All right, all right. This is Dr. K. This is Anne. This is Valerie J. And welcome back to Black Women Voices. Hello, and welcome to episode nine of Black Women Voices. This week, we are tackling the topic of Black women and sexual violence response on campus. A trigger warning. We will be talking about issues of sexual violence and sexual assault. Do not listen if it will potentially cause harm. And as always, remember to please take care of yourself. Today's guest is Brianna Hayes. Brianna is a 12-year experienced higher education specialist who has worked in several areas in the academy, including academic affairs, student affairs, and executive administration. A 2004 graduate of Florida A&M University with a BS in health science, Brianna continued her education and graduated from Webster University with a master's in mental health counseling and a master's in school guidance counseling. After working directly on campuses, Brianna ventured into the nonprofit sector and continued to effect change on various North Carolina HBCU campuses in the area of prevention and education on sexual violence. Brianna now serves as the CEO of the Hayes Solution Group, a full-service consulting and training firm which provides trauma-informed and culturally affirming strategies for Title IX and sexual assault policies and prevention. We are on episode nine, ladies, nine, nine, nine. Yes, yes. We have a very yes. special guest with us. We have Miss Brianna Hayes, and we're going to be talking about sexual violence on campus response and the role that Black women play. So this is going to be very intense, but very thought-provoking, and we cannot wait to get into the conversation. So, Brianna, how are you? I am amazing. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you all? (laughs) (laughs) We're good. We're good. So let's get right into it. Um, So one of my first questions for you is, what led you to want to do this work, to want to do the work of um, higher ed and sexual violence um, and on-campus response? So is this an honest space? Yes, this is, we, we talk, we talk, we talk. Okay, well, let's have an honest conversation. I, it, I was divinely led, um, and I want to tell the story. I love telling this story. I was at K&W um, having lunch with a coworker, okay. and my phone rung, and it was the name of the university I was working at came across my screen. Now, why that's unusual? Because I never had them saved in my phone. Um, I, I did not want that kind of access to them. Or in, or in my phone, and I received. <laughs> honest, and I got a phone call, and I answered, and it was the president's secretary. She said, "Can you hold the line? I have um, Dr. Ward on the phone for you." I said, "Oh Lord, I'm gonna lose my job. I'm over here eating chicken." <laughs> he got on the phone and said, "Hey, I heard you have a master's in mental health counseling. I need a Title IX coordinator." And I was like, "Yeah, how did I don't." Uh, what does that have what does one have to do with the other um and he said yeah but i think that you can do the job so when you get back from lunch swing by my office and let's talk about it click hung the phone up and at this point i went back to drinking my sweet tea like (laughs) what am i what because my current position at that time i got the call i was the acting executive director of freshman initiatives and the freshman coordinator is um writing coordinator nothing to do with title nine whatsoever um just so happened i say why is divinely placed the co-worker that i was at lunch with was the senior woman's administrator for athletics and when i say that she knew all things title nine she was all things to the ncaa for our institution um was how i was able to feel more comfortable about this position and going before i talked to the president um so i was very fortunate to be able to say yes to the job and Maybe a week or two later, um, I found out that, hey, I need training for this. Um, you, you should, I mean, because I was at an HBCU, and one of the things that I always say is I love HBCUs, but we often hire people in positions, and they don't know what the job is, and we send them out and say, go do, and when they mess up, you're like, well, how you messed up? I didn't know what I was doing, um, but you know, it's, it's that survival mode, like, oh, this, I have a new position. I need a check. I have bills. Great. This sounds great. Um, but I was able to attend one of the top premier training institutes and it completely changed my mind about, wow, I have an awesome responsibility. And 
honestly, I took that um, ball and I ran with it. And even after I left the university, I went to work for the statewide coalition against sexual assault, which really opened up my breadth of knowledge, understanding of sexual violence prevention and what it does for our survivors and or victims. Wow. See what God did? That one, it was nobody but God. Cause um, you would have, I never had any idea in my mind that I would not be working on physically working on a campus. Like all I knew was higher ed. Like, that was the route. If it wasn't at this school, it was going to be another. And I just knew that I was going to follow the the regular route that we normally do. Um, but God had God said, no, I have something different. I am excited about that. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so I want to ask, this is critical work. And I know you can become really invested even when you are off the clock. And so given the nature of the work, how does it impact you personally in regards to self-care? So I have to take a concerted effort to have self-care. Um, like you said, because this work is critical, it's entrenched in my personal life. Um, I'll share a personal story. I was home in Florida for the month of July, and I realized that everyone doesn't have the same understanding about sexual assault that I do. Um, and I literally got into it with my god brother and cousins because of their ignorance around the situation. And I said, wait a minute, it's midnight, and we're having cocktails and I'm arguing with you all because I, I'm, I'm assuming that this is what you should know. And it was that aha moment like, hey, this is why you do what you do. It's because everyone doesn't understand what the nuances behind sexual assault are. Um, because again, especially culturally, we wrap sexual assault and mental health all in a nice little boat and we put it under the the rug and we don't talk about it right it's one of those things that happen and we force people to live through it and don't say anything about it um so for me my self-care comes into understanding and learning how to back away um doing other things that take my mind off of it and it's not easy to do um for the first year maybe two years Every young lady I saw walking down the street at night, I wanted to roll my window down and be like, hey, get in the car. What are you doing? Um, and I had to say, hold up, hold up, hold up. You can't let it overtake your life to so much to the point where and my grandfather used to have a saying, you can't be so heavenly bound where you're no earthly good. Mm-hmm. And that's even so much for yourself, um, making sure that I am good for people. Um, I still want to be married. Nobody wants to come and date the the sexual assault lady who's always talking about um hey that that's wrong what you're saying oh that's discriminatory or that breeds in the toxic masculinity um and so i've had to learn how to just sometimes take a back seat and uh, and and take a, and take a breather and breathe again like Tony Braxton said so can i just have a look because I, I literally had this conversation this morning with my staff like i'm like i can't even watch tv shows without inserting things like, I can't watch this because this has this, this, and this. And how we just apply the things that are happening, you know, like, I can't watch that because it, it has a lot of race stuff. And I don't, I don't want to be angry today. Exactly. You know what I mean? And so I think that sometimes it takes you out of your, your true element in terms of really what it is that, you know, you, you want to do. Like, you want to be quote unquote normal. I want to watch normal TV shows, but it's really hard to do that. You can't. And this is what I'm studying or this is what I'm I'm hearing every day. Mm-hmm. And so like I was the queen of ratchet Monday night TV, right? Like I love all things VH1. Um, and now I find myself, so even to the point, well, I, let me tell you what I've done for myself. I'm a writer. Um, so when I watch those shows and I'm triggered, I write a piece about it and I have like several op-eds that I'm like trying to pitch to people to send out because I, I am triggered. Like I am bothered by why don't you see what you're doing is toxic. Like, why do we think this is okay? Like, why is this behavior okay? And why are these black women per, like exploiting themselves for a few dollars? And, and so all of that, all, all of that goes into play. And I, and I realized, no, not, don't journal it. Just write about it. Write academically about it and make use of it so that maybe even if it's a small number of people that read it or a subsection of people that read it that it will one day have some legs and it'll go um because for me i love i love podcasts ironically 
And when I listen to podcasts, those are my self-care because I can say, yes, okay, I'm not the only person that think like this. Like, I thought I was crazy. And understand that is a whole group of other people that is precisely women, Black women, who feel the same way. Um, and so that's very empowering. But it is very hard everyday life. I mean, simple shows that should make you laugh, I find... I, I can see the discrimination or I can see the misogyny in it or all the isms. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can't even watch anything. Like music, music either. I can't listen to certain music and I love ratchet music, but I have to say, <laughs> I told y'all I'm from Florida. <laughs> so it's even, I always tell people, I say, I went through a growth metamorphosis of my brain in doing this work. Like it really has made me more appreciative of black women. It has made it has made me more understanding of women in general, like of what we go through. Because sometimes I think that when you are talking to people and you're doing this work, and just because their story doesn't line up with your story or your background, a lot of people often, but even on most times on campus, it brings what we're talking about. They shoo it away because they can't relate. They have there's no no relativism in what the person is saying. And although I have never been sexually assaulted, that doesn't mean my empathy for someone who has, like it has really grown. And I think I become not just an advocate, but an ally in the fight, uh, especially for black and brown bodies, like especially. So kind of going along with that and, and thinking about uh, kind of understanding the, the significance of things and, and the connection of it all. Like, what do you think is the significance of historical racialized and gendered trauma as it relates to sexual violence? And like, how does that connect to campus sexual violence? Okay, so everything you said is the root of sexual violence. I call it the grounded roots. Sexual sexual violence is rooted in oppression and power dominance and racism. And I tell people all the time, it, it is, when you think about the history of Let's just talk back when we got here to the, to the seashore. When we were brought over from the seashore, we were marginalized from day one. We have been over-sexualized, over-exploited, seen as just baby-making machines, seen as less than. Um, and, and it's sad because really we're the smartest, <laughs> we're the smartest um, group of humans. Really, um, when you think about women, um, that are around personally, that's how I feel. Um, and then when you bring all of, all of that, the historical context, and then you bring it on campus, it brings a, um, so I'm disheartened a lot, right? Because I deal with a lot of chancellors and presidents. And while their overarching theme is, I want what's best for my university or college or institute, they don't see the importance of how sexual assault sits at the nucleus of all of that. If I feel disenfranchised, I'm not going to come to your school. Mm -hmm. If I don't feel safe, I'm not going to come to your school. If I feel like I'm not heard and I'm not believed, I'm not going to come to your school, which again, affects your retention rates attrition rate it affects the morale on campus it, it it literally has an effect on every facet of arm on campus and so when campus response is null or nil um or is very hush hush or pushed under the rug depending upon who is the top administrator because like i tell chancellors your school is only as good as your mind is if the head doesn't work the body definitely cannot function so if you're at the top of executive leadership, and even I, and I train board of trustees, I tell them if the president serves at the pleasure of the board, and if the board does not care about sexual assault, then why would the president care? If the only thing you're talking about in a board meeting is finances, retention, enrollment numbers, or what it looks like on the outside, or how many awards, pseudo awards you've won, what are we talking about? And so we have to get to, we have to get to leadership first for them to understand and I'm not expecting them because again there is a such thing as generational gaps right older generations think that what I do is crazy <laughs> um they, they think they think I'm a troublemaker they think I want to stir up problems and I tell them all the time I don't know if you're going to find another hard-pressed supporter of a HBCU more than me my money goes to two of them every month I got the receipt proven um my love for them and I battle for all of them whether or not I step foot on that campus or not also I want to talk when you said trauma 
this brings me back to something that I'm working on, the creation story of HBCU. That is wrapped in trauma itself. Um, when you think about why a school such as historical black colleges and universities had to be created, that's trauma. You had to be created because no one wanted you at their school. So you were already an outcast. And then you start talking about sexual assault or women in general, or you put uh, levels or sub levels to black women or Hispanic women or just women in general where we are seen as lesser. And then you put that on campus where none of that really matters because to them, that's not the bottom line. It is a cycle of trauma and which that, which also breathes into, I say, even if I was not um, and have never been sexually assaulted, I am a secondary survivor because of the work that I do. I am constantly listening to stories of those women and men also uh, and we don't talk about that a lot, but those women who have been assaulted and are still have to face their perpetrator on campus every day. That is a trauma in itself. And as a secondary person who is trying to help them navigate those waters, I have traumatic, like almost PTSD because now it's like, I know I can't carry your story every day, but now I'm fighting for justice for you. I want this Title IX case to go forward. And I have administration who's telling me, oh, he may be a football player. He may be a, ba a basketball player, or he's the SGA president. And these are all just titles, just things that we give people that they say, oh, this has to happen. And we can't do that because we don't want to shed a bad light. Or what I often hear a lot, and it boils my blood, we don't want to start him off with a bad, a bad record. We don't want to do that to him because he's so good or he's this and he's that. I don't give a crap. <laughs> I don't care about none of that. Because he should have thought about that before he didn't ask my consent. So I say that to go back to the trauma that we have, it's almost traumatic to even want to come forward and say something. That's why I always applaud young women who come forward and, and say, hey, this happened. And however they do it, uh, a lot of people had an issue. I don't know if you all were familiar with the young lady at Spelman and uh, she was sexually assaulted. The schools did nothing about it. So she plastered the names of all of the known assailants all across the campus and put their, if they were Greek, their line name, the year they crossed. Wow. It, or athletes she exposed them yeah she exposed them and everyone had an issue well, a lot of people had issues and i said no because what you did was when she came to you to follow your protocol that is set forth by the federal government you did nothing so she needed justice now it's sad that this young lady had to do this but i don't feel bad for them because you all were you all were holding them and keeping them coddled because it goes back to, again this is another thing about his historical things often in, in for black women we're told don't do that you don't want to mess that 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 person's life up don't say anything um what happens in our house stays in our house what goes on here and a lot of uh, and when you think about campus a lot of the numbers that you probably get for when i look at their reports their annual reports that come out in october i know for a fact those numbers are off you wow. only had two rapes the whole year you just had two now you had a whole police <laughs> training that said they had about 35 people but you only had two reported so it's things like that like it's the discrepancies it's it's the the good old boy system in a in a backwards way i call it the, the good old boy system a backwards way where they look out for one another and still put the woman out to dry or hang her to dry or get make her feel so uncomfortable that well if we lose one student it's not bad but not realizing that now students have access to all social media. And that is in which the way, honestly, you get your recruitment. So and they're not afraid to use it either. No, no, they will embarrass you. They will go live on Snapchat in your office and be like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> with Chris and she said, it. and you'd be like, whoa, uh, uh, uh. no. So yes, it, it is a thing. And, and so I think we have to take in, into, we have to take into context what the what the traumatic trigger of the historical context of trauma and how we handle cases how they're all into they're intertwined and interlinked um it just looks different but if you trace it back it's the same it's the same how when we were when we were enslaved like be quiet hush just be seen do as i say and, and we talked a lot we talked about a little bit um before we started but but also not not even 
back to slavery, but just like even in our family systems where we have, you know, a lot of sexual abuse and things that are happening in the homes, or I said, maybe in church and some, some of these trusted places, and then they're coming to college, you know, and those same messages are being perpetuated, you know, in a lot of ways. And, and it's especially for men and women, you know, these detrimental messages that allow for um, sexual assault to be acceptable to be shameful, for people to feel guilty about it. And so I want to ask, we hear some of these stats because you kind of talked about the stats. Mm -hmm. So we hear these stats like one in four women between the ages of 18 and 25 could could be sexually assaulted on campuses. Now, how how does that number um, impact Black women? Like, is that our number? Do we have different stats? Like, what are the stats for the Black women on campus? Exactly. So we have different stats. Um, <laughs> Figure this much. Listen, mm-hmm. I can tell you, the stats for Black women are much higher than what is reported. Again, and what's sad is, there is only one report that has been done, and it was done about maybe nine or ten years ago. It is the only uh, study that has been done for black women and the effects of sexual assault on campus. Wow. Right. So the numbers one? One. And so the numbers that we're working with are archaic. Like they're antiquated now. And so those numbers were high because those numbers was every three three out of five women, three out of five black women on campus. And if that was nine years ago, can you imagine what, what it is now? Wow. Um, wow. For me, the disproportion, so let, so let me say this. And I have to I have to give credence to this because there is a difference um, culturally in how PWIs hmm. handle sexual assault and how HBCUs handle well, sexual. Don't ask that, but since you talk about it, go ahead. Go ahead and talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. What I am going to say is one is more resourced than the other, and so it gives the perception that more is being done. But the problem with that is, it's the same way when we think about our students who are students at PWIs who are looking for those mentors who look like them. Mm -hmm. um, They're they're trying to gravitate toward what, what is familiar to them. And so when I think about, okay, this is going on at the PWI, can I tell you all that I was all things and everything at my HBCU and Title IX coordinator was not my only position. I was also director of training and organization development for the entire campus. So while I'm trying to create a professional development opportunities for our staff, I'm also dealing with Title IX. And I was the investigator, which is never a good model. So all things to everybody, um, which is not fair to our students. And I have to say, and now when I go and train, I talk to campuses, I talk about best practices. Best practices is if you have a Title IX coordinator, we understand that that is mandated by the federal government. But you also need to have a separate investigator. You also need to have deputy coordinators. You need to have a system that is run so smooth that is not convoluted for your students to understand because what we want to do is make reporting as easy as possible. Um, you don't want to make someone jump over hoops because we know, even for, even for us, I always say culturally, culturally, black and brown people don't do well with systems. And when I say systems um, of all kinds, I mean, we don't do lines well. <laughs> <laughs> we, we <laughs> <laughs> we don't do lines well we don't you know we don't uh like deal with the police um and a lot of times campuses will say oh if you have an issue call the police who get ready to call the police because here lately the last two years if i call the police i may end up dead so mm, I'm, that's not really what i'm i'm going to do and then we also have to think about and i say our black and brown students, even those students who may be immigrants and in, in the fear of ICE, I de- I'm definitely not getting ready to report because I'm trying to go to you for help. And next thing I know, my family got a former human shield around me just to keep y'all from grabbing me. You know, like, so all, <laughs> all of those nuances um, go into play. And so we think about PWI, they, I, I, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of them function highly on systems. 
Like, oh, we have a system mm-hmm. for that. Oh, we have this for that. We have, but where's the personal touch? Where, where is the humanistic touch? Because at the end of the day, I need everybody to understand we're all human. Something egregious has just happened to this student. And you want them to repeat themselves 1,711 times. And what people don't understand is if the student so forth wants a rape kit, that's an eight-hour process. It's not just I'm going to go to the designated spot, I'm going to submit to this testing, and I'm going home. It lasts eight or more hours because nine times out of ten, there is not a sane or what we call sexual assault nurse examiner available. Like that is a very highly specialized field. Um, and now, what I will say this about the resources. A lot of PWIs actually have access to one. Now, whether or not it's on a on-call basis or they just put it in their policies and they go along with it, hey, um, but for a lot of HBCUs, we can we can barely afford the regular nurse that we need to keep every day. Um, <laughs> you want us to pay somebody with a specialty? Right. Ma'am. <laughs> you know, and so, and that has been the question to me. And I had to check myself on that. I have noticed a lot of students come to campus and may, a lot of them come to campus have already been sexually assaulted and never talked about it. Some have not. But I also know a lot of them have come to campus and their parents have never talked to them about sex, period. Ooh. Mm. That blew my mind. That's a word. Yeah. That yeah. blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And so we're yeah. talking about power and dominance and how to protect yourself when I'm finding out that our students don't even know the basics of, of the biology of sex. Like, what does that look like? And so I feel myself, um, it's crazy. I, I was listening to your other podcast about other mothering and she was so right. We find ourselves, a mama, auntie, God, sister, nene, whoever they need me to be in that moment because it's no longer, it's, for me, it's no longer about, I want to get this done because it's compliance. For me, it's about, this is a human being and they have been assaulted and they need to be shown love and empathy. And, and I tell people, and it's not sympathy because you don't want to feel sympathetic because you want them to get their power back. Um, I always tell survivors and victims, you do not have to remain powerless. Like, yes, that was a moment that happened and it is horrible, but here are some strategies and some ways that we're going to reclaim your power. And the first thing is by reporting it because we want to make sure that you've done all you can to bring attention to what has happened because your story may help somebody else. And so it is, it is it's nuanced. And even with all those people that the big school that I name have, they still have problems. <laughs> like you know they they still have problems and it's kind of inevitable so you you touched on something uh you mentioned <clears throat> other mothering and so for for those that don't necessarily do the work that you do you know per se but we have mentees or students that come to us and they have been sexually assaulted mm-hmm. and they report don't report mm-hmm. And if I'm other mothering, mm-hmm. what do we do? So the first thing is believe them, right? right. <clears throat> That's number one. Because again, for me, it's about rebuilding, restoring, and empowering. And so when someone is, if they, for you to have someone that, that trust, that is the most intimate discussion that someone can have with you. Right. If you have their trust like that, be a listening ear. Um, if they do not want to report and I tell people, don't push people, you know, like we want you to report so we can do something about it, but if they don't want to report, you know, they, they don't have to. Um, and if they want to come to you and talk about it, I think that that is, that is in the moment where all of those uplifting things and, um, strategies, we should be armed with strategies to give survivors. Like I said, for me, my self-care is journaling, writing, um, getting, getting it all out. If that may not work for them because writing it down makes them relive the moment. Okay, then you don't want to do that. What are some other coping mechanisms? Create a playlist. Listen to your happy songs if you're getting in that moment. Um, but like I tell her, believe them, list, be an active listener, and find coping strategies that work best for them. And if they want to make, and you can make yourself an accountability partner for them. Because what that does is twofold. Um, I like to always tell people, it lets you know what's happening with your quote-unquote child um you know and it, and because 
your nerves are tore up. You know what I mean? When all the pieces. Yeah, your nerves are tore up. When somebody comes to you and you know this is let's say one of your mentees or somebody who has deemed you to be a very trustworthy person on campus, and they come to you and tell you this gives that somebody, that student a notice somebody cares. Because a lot of times they're not gonna call their parents or their guardian. They're not. Um and that's a, a lot of it is shame or they feel that they're in guilt or they were or they feel like they were someplace that they should not have been or they don't want to get in trouble. It's so many different uh, variables to that. But if they come to you, you figure out a plan that you can still be in contact with them. They can be in contact with you. That way it eases your 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 nerves and it assures them that, hey, outside of this case, if I did or did not report I have someone on campus that knows what happened, that cares about me and knows what's happening with me. Um, because another thing that stigma is, as we talk about mental health, and although I am a firm proponent of therapy, I mean, that's the best happy hour. That hour a week, that, that's, that's better than the happy hour down at, at the two-for-one bar. Um, <laughs> but everybody's not there yet, especially, you know, our black and brown students, you know, because all of the for what the stigma has been on mental health or going to talk to someone. Um, and so there are ways that I always tell people you could be a bootleg counselor to people. Um, if they do not want to go seek out that help on or off campus, there are, there are I normally give uh, faculty cards when I train, like five quick little questions that you ask yourself. Um, one, what is my mental today? Because another thing, you can't help somebody if your mental is off. Like if if you're if you're already triggered, then all you're going to do is re-trigger that person or give them a panic attack to deal with your crazy. So you have to deal deal with your your stuff first. Two, am I knowledgeable about the situation enough? So if there's a situation and you and you don't know the laws or you don't know what the policies are or you don't know what your surrounding county um rules are, figure those out because the worst thing you can do is tell them you should do X, Y, and Z, and then that's not applicable to them, or it doesn't apply. Um, as much as I would like to have standardized um, policies, Title IX policies across the state, that's just not realistic. Every campus has the right to write their own policies and sanctions and appeals and all of those different things. Um, and again, again, making sure that that person is settled. And there are different ways. Like there are no, there are no other. I don't know. I forgot how I used to word it, <clears throat> but in short, I used to say, if I'm in a box today, you can't step in the box with me. Let me get out of my box so that we can all be a circle together because the box has limitations. The circle is, is never ending. And so if I'm in my box, I have my walls up and it may not be anything about that student, but I'm not at my best. And, uh, and what happens is a person who's been sexually assaulted sometimes are very they're, they're very vulnerable so where you say something to them because it could be something that you gotta you just got an email from the person who you, you can't stand to get an email from and that person walks in and it's not even verbal it's non-verbal cues because remember they're looking for something like they need reassurance that i'm okay they need reassurance that this is not something that i did so where am i getting it from and so we have to check ourselves in order to help others yeah. Well, and that and and that also kind of leads me to another question because we think about, you know, of course, you know, us maybe who serve in that mentorship other mothering capacity, but what about the folks who are in these new graduate programs um, and who are thinking about going into um, the, the the role that you're in? You know, maybe they're aspiring to it. Maybe they had, you know, maybe a previous experience or have a friend who um, who had. So, what would be the advice? that you would have for folks who are thinking about going into the work that you're doing? What, what should they do? How should they approach it mentally? How they, how should they approach it emotionally, spiritually, all those dimensions mm -hmm. so that they don't go in and re-traumatize these folks who are coming to them in such dire need? Absolutely. So one of the things that I feel like, um, so let me say this, I don't know if you can er ever truly prepare yourself for this type of work. And I want to say that because where it, whereas we we all have different degrees and we have disciplines and we study the in theory, this practice of this work throws all the theory out the door. Um, it's like, yeah, that's a cute little book you wrote, but none of that works <laughs> for this. Um, 
<clears throat> yeah, that was that was a cute book. Oh, that was great. Okay. No, <laughs> what has to happen? Always tell people who do this work have to be people of integrity. You foremost in all things have to live in your life with integrity. And I say that and it matters because if you do not have integrity of self, then you cannot care about others. Now, I'm not, I don't think that someone needs to per se have a degree in counseling. It helps, but I don't think that that is what you need. What you need to have is a, a firm understanding of people. You have to be a people person. If people bother you, then please don't do this, Phil. You have to have, you have to be strong-willed. And when I say that, begin, because you're going to hear stories. You're going to hear unbelievable stories that sometimes involve dads, grandfathers, uncles, mothers, a boyfriend, you know, all kind of uh, <laughs> pastors, <laughs> um, deacons, <laughs> The charmings of the boys. <laughs> you have to be able to separate the two. Like I told somebody, and it goes back again. You can't be so heavenly bound. You're no earthly good. You can't have blinders up and say, well, oh, so-and-so is this. And I know they wouldn't have done that. I don't put anything past anybody. I just don't. And so you have to be a person who is, a, who is an open-minded person. Like I'll tell everybody, I'm not ashamed. I am a Christian and I love the Lord. But I also believe the Lord gave me common sense to, to hear and understand and to follow in the words that he's told me to not be blindsided about what man is saying, but to follow my heart and know what I'm supposed to do is right. So being open-minded is, is I think that's, that's right up there with, with having integrity. And I started being a people person. And I think that you have to have a therapist. Not because you're trying to work out your personal stuff, but you need to have a therapist because again, you're taking, you're taking on so many different stories and you're putting on layers upon layer upon layer. You have to find a way to excrete those things out and still be effective because at some point you can hear so many stories and be so downtrodden that you're no longer effective in what you do. And if you're not effective at what you do, then you're not, you're, you're harming that person rather than healing. So if you're thinking about a hey, sexual assault is what I want to do, I'm very passionate about it. Um, your passion can, can and should drive you, but there are also some tangible things that you have to make sure that you are prepared for because it's easy to be burnt out. Um, sexual assault work is it's a very hard work. It is not easy. Um, I tell people I make it look easy just because I'm awesome. Um, but <laughs> you are. Yeah, well, thank you. But it is it is a very hard work, and I I think that you you got to make sure that you're okay, that you're okay within yourself, so that you don't put your traumas and, and your stuff and all of your things that you've had onto someone else. Man. Yeah, was... so you know Rihanna I've known you what maybe it's almost, almost two years mm -hmm. and I just have a new I don't know it's like <laughs> I need to I'm gonna call you every day you alright <laughs> <laughs> this is a lot it's, it's you know for me it's one thing as a student affairs professional for students to come into your office and unload on you mm -hmm. but it's another thing when you're the person that has to do what you do Mm -hmm. and like that mm -hmm. that's a that's a god-given gift you know what I, I never looked at it like that but you're right it is um yeah i never look at you i never I'm, I'm a, that's a new tagline <laughs> that's free yeah you have to be called to that you have to be called to that that's not right. something that you just take on you have to be that has to be a calling when i think about again when i think about the disrespect um that can happen and when people don't see the the importance of what you do and you all you have to be humble because no one cares like when i meet with students like um so my last job i was a campus specialist and i visited uh, out of the 10 HBCUs in North Carolina, eight of them were a part of my project. And I was on all their campuses numerous of times. And one thing that I had to, that I had to check myself is, yes, we have all of these degrees, but students don't care about any of that. You they don't, they don't care that, oh, you have two masters. Oh yeah, let's see. They don't care. What they, what they wanna know is how authentic are you and where are you in my journey? 
And so the, another thing I I want to I want to add that backtrack. You have to be authentic to do this work. Mm-hmm. If you are not an authentic person and you're not real, everything that you've built in your glass house will come shattering down when you start doing this work. Woo! It is a work. It will take you on a self journey. Um, I am not the person who I was when I first started this work. Um, I am a completely different person. I, I love, I love more. I am patient. I was never patient. Um, and I am a, I am a believer that we can do, we can solve this problem. And I'd be very honest. I tell people before I started Title Nine, and we would hear briefly murmurings about sexual assault. And, you know, we always say, oh, well, I don't know what that's rooted in. And, you know, we'll, it'll probably take us for the rest of eternity to fix it. Now, I'm like, no, we can eradicate this because mm-hmm. this is just us about teaching people how to ask for consent. That's all it is. Ask. Don't do that. If something's wrong with you, go get help for that. Like, you know, all of those things. And so I have uh, th- this, this work has challenged me. It has propelled me in ways that I never saw for myself. And I go back to say, I was, it is a, it is a God's work because I was divinely chosen. Like this is a calling on your, thank you, Valerie J. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. Oh, that in my spirit. I was like, that's a calling. Cause mm-hmm. I, I couldn't do that without crying. I mean, that, and that I, it wasn't going to help. I'm crying and, and you in my office. <laughs> And that's the thing, having to keep a straight face, right? Like, like I said, you hear some of these stories and, and it's like, you get the, I had the training when I was a counselor, but I mean, some of it, you can't, I mean, I'm human. It's just like, huh, what? And then I can't let them know that I'm frazzled because then, you know, once you let the student know that you're frazzled, then any any semblance of strength that they had will crumble yeah yeah so it's that it's keeping that in mind so yeah so so let me let me ask the question do what type of what resources do you have or or can you name just for the audience and we can probably put them somewhere in the show note or something that we've never done before but hey there's that what type of resources can you uh, give to the audience um, in this realm? Because I think a lot of people um, may not feel like they come in contact with sexual assault victims until they come in contact. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, you know, having some resources to be able to just equip you, you know, if there are some that you know of, whether it's books or websites, so, whatever you know. So one of, the, one of my favorite go-to is forharriet.com. And the Black Women's Blueprint. Black Women's Blueprint um, is my mini Bible, right? And I say that because they have created um, a lot of facilitation guides, toolkits, a lot of op-ed pieces, and just information that provides not only to women, but to those of us who have to help those women who have experienced sexual violence, even to the point where if they have not experienced and we want to talk about bystander intervention, there are several toolkits that they've posted, um, especially in the wake of hashtag me too. And I really thought that Toronto was going to do, excuse me, a collaboration with them, which I'm still hoping for. I think it'd be great if she ever has time to do that. But if you get a chance, go look on black women's blueprint, I think it's .org and for Harriet. For Harriet is what I like to call the Mecca of Black women um, or women in general. Because she has a wealth of resources, papers. You'll find the study that I spoke about earlier in the podcast that is on there. But those those are my go-to resources. Um, I do read a lot of books and I, I get a lot of, I change sometimes when I read something. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then I read them there, like, oh, well, wait a minute, that, that didn't make as much sense as this make. Um, and so again, it's, it's a personal choice about how you do your work and what your personal mantras are that allow you to, to walk and do the work. But yes, I definitely, those two for Harriet and um, Black Women in Blueprint, definitely. So we're, we're forced in. And we have some wrap up questions, but before we get to the wrap up questions, of course, I got another question. 
two folks. So Faris, can you talk a little bit about sexual violence in terms of women and women? Mm -hmm. And then I want you to plug in your business. Oh, okay. So sexual violence on women on women happens. Um, and people say, well, how does it happen? It's again, sexual assault is power and dominance and control and oppression. Um, so there are times and nuances in same-sex relationships where you may have a more dominant um, partner than the other. Or it could, and, and also I, I want to say this, even if the couples are married, it, is, it could still be considered sexual assault. Now you have to look at your laws in each state because each state determines what rape and sexual assault and sexual battery is differently. Some states have on the mark. Some states are like, what are you talking about? I happen to live in a what you're talking about state. <laughs> but just been I, I did too in Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, look, so, but we are fighting. Um, I, so I say I want to give a plug and a shout out to the North Carolina Coalition Against Sexual Assault because in addition to education and advocacy, they do legislation as well. And the executive director is working really hard uh, along with the, um, the staff attorney to present some bills and, and back some bills um, that actually define what rape is and what sexual assault is in a way that provides for people. But, um, and, and also we wanna talk about what men, women on women, we wanna add that because, you know, that is a big deal on campuses. We talk about Title IX and I, know if you, I don't know if you all are familiar, um, the new Secretary of Education, Miss <clears throat> <Ms>. DeVos. <laughs> uh -huh. All right. She, uh, yeah, I mean, she gets it wrong. I mean, she was wrong when she got when she stepped up there from the day one, but <laughs> really wrong in how she is now making she the new proposed changes are trying to make Title IX more for the perpetrator or the respondent than it is for the complainant or the victim. Um, and what that means is, and they're taking and they have taken away the new, and we can look at what, what, uh, I hate to call him President Trump. What Trump <clears throat> is doing in terms of taking away rights from our LGBTQIA population. And so Title IX, currently as it stands, still does cover sexual discrimination, right? And so when you think about um, people who are lesbians, like women on women, or even if they don't define, like, now they could be gender non-conforming or however that goes, we still have a right to investigate. We still have a right to provide services. Um, and that's and that is another message that we send to campuses. I do not care what your personal beliefs are about whether this person would because it was two women and it's only seen as a fight. No, they were assaulted. It's not a fight. They were sexually assaulted. Something was taken from them in a sexual nature. We call, we're going to call a spade a spade. Call that thing as what it is. Right. Um, and working with schools to make sure that their policies show forth that it does not matter if it was opposite sex. Same sex can still have sexual assault happen to them. And that needs to be noted. And we need to make sure that we are understanding that across the board and covering that in our policies and our sanctions. And then if you have done something remarkable in your life, <laughs> the next step and uh, you've taken what you have done for colleges, um, and institutions, and your price is going up. So can Ooh. you talk about your price? <laughs> <laughs> so you know what they say: if 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 you're worth something, you you need to monetize it. Um, Come on. <laughs> I'm only preach now. I'm just gonna say a word. So um, I actually have been afforded, and I tell you that this has been a another journey. Um, I never had a desire to be an entrepreneur. It's never been a thought in my mind. Like I told you all earlier, I thought I was going to work at, an, at somebody HBCU until it was time for me to leave and have a big retirement party with the balloons and a gold watch. <laughs> um, but what happened is that I was afforded, after my job, I found out my job was ending. I said, well, you know what? The world needs to hear this and they need me. The world needs me. Um, and so I created the Hayes Solutions Group which is a full-service full consulting and training firm dedicated to trauma-informed strategies and culturally affirming practices for Title IX and sexual assault prevention. We are open for business. <clears throat> um, you know, I do have flat rates, but I also have a heart. And so 
um, as we are getting started, you may want to jump on the bandwagon now because in six months, these prices. <laughs> Come on, talk about it. That's I'm claiming it. These, these prices are going to put me in another tech now. I'm just joking. <laughs> another tax bracket. You better speak. Speak <laughs> <Come> it. <on. laughs> but no, um, seriously, though, my mom had been telling me for years, even prior to me doing this work. That, I mean, I love public speaking. I, I love, I come alive when I'm in front of a group. I don't care what I'm talking about. I can be talking about Disney World. I'm going to come alive. Um, and so she's always said, you should just be a consultant. Like, you need to be a consultant. I'm like, mama, you know what you're talking about. Like, girl, we got bills. <laughs> um, but she was right. And I, I, I will say this to anybody who is listening, who is toying with the idea, leap, take the jump, leap. I have not asked not one person yet for a contract. And I will tell y'all that I am booked and busy through December just Ooh. by word of mouth. Come on. It's a calling on you. Mm. That's amazing. No, this, well, that also speaks to how much this is needed in the community. Mm -hmm. You know, universities and people will pay for the things that they need. And I want to say this, and I'm, and I didn't just stop there. Um, I'm also in faith-based communities. Like I'm working with churches because, you know, I'm a, I'm a GPK. My grandfather was a pastor for 49 years and he just retired this year at the age of 87. Um, and one thing I know, I know church. Okay. I'm telling he was the fourth vice president of the national Baptist convention of America incorporated. He was the state president of progressive Emmanuel Baptist. When you say church, I, my mom went into labor with me at vacation Bible school. I know church. <laughs> I can lie to him like nobody's, I can't say, but I can lie to him. <laughs> And so when I say that, I realize that like, I have a lot of friends who are pastors and we're just talking and I'm hearing them talk about their congregation and things that are happening. And I'm like, do you realize that you can eradicate all of that if you just had training for your ministerial staff, if you go in and had classes for your, con your congregants? Because so many of our parishioners at these churches are dealing with these issues, right? And like, we, and we take it back to campus. When we think about the students that are coming to campus, a lot of them go to church. A lot of things that have happened to them have happened before they got to campus. And a lot of it is generational. It happened to their mother. It happened to their grandmother or their aunt. And they're all sitting in church and we're all praising God and we're crying about what happened, but we're not talking about it. And the only way we're going to heal from that thing is that we have to talk about it. We have to call it what it is. And so going into churches is a big thing for me. And I'm very respectful in how I do it because I understand as much as campuses don't want to talk about it, churches really don't want to talk about it. Okay. Oh yeah. It doesn't exist. You know, Ooh, what? What I'm telling. <laughs> you know, I've had some church mothers tell me you just a Jezebel, ma'am. Oh, ma'am. <laughs> I'm yeah. just not clear how that, I don't know. That doesn't meet the criteria. It never does. It never does. You heard when I say church mother? It never, look, she probably was mad I had on lipstick. Listen. <laughs> Girl, I feel like I know where you were. That's all right. <laughs> I know where you were. You know, and so my thing is, I just want to help us. Like, I, I want to help those that look like me. And if I know that a majority of us go to church and that's where we get our healing, that's where we get our nourishment, that is where we we revive on the weekend then i want to be a part of that solution to an uh, overall solution and so we're going to catch you on campus if we catch you at church then we can catch you in the community at some point and then that is how we're going to eradicate sexual violence in our community yes oh okay i'm gonna try to work this out okay so let's get into our wrap-up questions okay um, so these are questions we ask all of our guests Okay. to kind of get you know a little personality so what are some songs or types of music that you're listening to right now to keep your spirits lifted especially in the nature of the work that you do don't laugh but i am so happy that today is the 15th anniversary of nuck if you buck like <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so i just need to know was that like posted somewhere like you didn't know? Yeah. Listen, they were on the Breakfast Club. This well, I knew I knew it was the 15th anniversary because I'll never forget when the song came out. And you know, being a member of the lovely Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Come on, Sarah! Okay, I'm sorry. You know, we you know, we love the stroll to nuck if you buck down here in the southern yeah. region. So yes, yes, y'all do. Yes. 
Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> so um, that is, I mean, I listen to a lot of upbeat songs. I, I mean, in the morning time, I am always listening to gospel. Um, and I like old school gospel. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those, I want the wine and brothers. Yeah. Cool and waters. Come on, Lee Williams. You know, I, I, I some Luther Barnes and some, and my favorite guy, you know, God bless um, the dead, uh, is Daryl Coley. You know, I was oh, married with her guy. He was singing my wedding, and I ain't got no husband for yet. But, um, girl, you better speak things as though they were. Listen, we still trying to see if that's what I want. I didn't see too many people. <laughs> <laughs> that's another. That's another podcast. That's a great <laughs> episode. That that is a different episode. Come on, <laughs> y'all got to call me back for that one. <laughs> um, but no, and then Goapale. I listen to Goapale every day. Um, and let me tell you what her song "Closer." That song yes. resonates with me. Um, and so it is a staple. Like, I, standing on his promises is, I have to hear it every day. And closer, I hear it every day. Like, those two are mandatory that I must listen to because that's what set my soul um, to start the day. Absolutely. Now, what, what you mentioned um, earlier that you, you read a lot. So what are some books that you would recommend, whether oh. it's about the nature of the work you do or personal? So one of the books, uh, and actually right now, because I have started the, com- the company, I read a lot um, of fiction and I'm trying to move into the nonfiction world. Um, and I do it when I'm, I try not to do too much nonfiction because we do that for, for school as it is. Um, but one of the books actually I'm, I just started the other day is um, The Sisters Are All Right Now. And it's about changing the narrative of the Black woman in America. Um, love that book. Uh, it's actually by Tamara Winfrey. It, oh, you know what, Great book. <laughs> oh, you it's read a, it? Oh, my God. I read it, and the author is my best friend's cousin. So that's how I got the book. And I was like, it is, it is a phenomenal book. I'm going to send it to you for her to sign it, okay? Great. <laughs> and, the, and the other book that I am currently, I have started reading this is um, At the Other End of the Corner by Danielle McGuire. And that book, um, it really talks about how we, st- goes back to from slavery time, kind of what, the, what we talked about earlier um, about what has happened to the black woman why are we so over overly sexualized? Why are we so um, misconstrued? And why are we not heard? Um, and in delving in, into the book, the author is, I mean, she's hit on everything I, that I think most women, especially professional women, have experienced in dealing in, in just walking this world as a Black woman. You know, um, it's very empowering. I, I try to read things because the world is so doom and gloom. I try to read things that bring me empowerment, that make me glad to wake up every day in all of this melanin i like you know though that is my thing like i am happy to be a black woman i am happy to look the way i have my full nose my lips all the things that people are paying to have i'm like lord you know what you know you showed out when you made me and but i but let me tell you and, I, and i'm not afraid to say this it took me a long time to love me um, and I think as most black women, because the picture of beauty was not, it didn't look like me growing up. You know, I grew up in the eighties. That's not what I saw. And then what I did see, it was light skin and skinny. I was not light skin. And although I'm not the size I was there, yeah, I wasn't still skinny. Um, and so trying to find what beauty is, what does that mean to me? And so now that I found it, I'm like, yeah, my arrogance level is on 12. Um, about waking up as a black woman every day. I love it. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so last two questions. Um, tell us, tell the audience what this podcast means to you. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we want you to name the black woman that you want to celebrate and why you want to celebrate her. Okay. So this podcast, I want to honestly say it means everything to me. The fact that the brain, the three brain child that you all are came together to provide this platform is amazing. Um, to be at, to be able to come and share what I do 
And I mean, y'all have no idea what y'all have just done. Like, I mean, Valerie J, you just gave me my calling. That's my new tagline. Uh, you know, Dr. K made me feel like I'm the best thing walking. And I love the fact that you're like, yep, you're right in the validation you get. I'm like, I'm on the right path. Um, you know, I, I think that this is a wonderful platform um, for Black professional women or just Black women, period, um, to hear and to hear how we go through things every day, but how do we come out of that? Like, what's on the other end? The positive um, notes that are provided. So I, I, this, this podcast right now means everything to me. Um, not to mention, it's my first one, so y'all going down in history with me. Yeah. <laughs> and the woman who I want to celebrate is... She is the Thelma to my Louise, or maybe I'm Louise to her Thelma, depending on what day it is, um, is Dr. Nia Johnson. Um, Nia is, um, she has a doctor in speech language pathology, and she has worked in the secondary school system as well as private practice. But why I want to celebrate Nia, about last year, I don't know if Kelly remembered this, Nia was toying with the idea of whether to step into higher ed. Um, she had an awesome opportunity. She wanted to break through, was like, I don't know. Um, you all have been in higher ed so long. I'm like, well, we all had to start with one day. Right. <laughs> we all had one day, you know, you know, you don't know how you're going to do it. And not only did Neil step into higher ed, having never ever worked in higher ed before, she became the clinical, the inaugural clinical director for the speech and communicative disorders. But Nia also was the interim director of the entire program for six months. And when I say she's boss, because Nia has a son in college who just turned 21. Nia was still doing private practice. She was the clinic, the inaugural clinic director and taking on a brand new program that Francis Marion had just started. So you all, y'all in education, so you know, when you start a new program, it's so many licenses and applications and so many check off the box things that you have to do. And when I say she did it effortlessly, like without breaking a sweat, didn't have a nervous breakdown, she's to be applauded for that. Cause I would have been like, hold on. Mm -mm. <laughs> one of these things gotta go. And I'm not sure which one it is. Um, but so I just, I, I definitely want to celebrate her. I need her to know that I am so proud of her that I know the students at Francis Marion look up to her and they are fortunate to have such a beautiful soul as Mia. Yes. Love it. Love it. This this was this was great. And, and I'm not just saying that because I know Brianna, but it, it says something when you are around people enough, but you don't know exactly what it is that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And when you get the opportunity to sit down and just have a real conversation about it, it repurposes you um, and it repurposes who you are in their life. And so um, <clears throat> I'm going to use my, my platform to get personal real quick. Like when, when we met mm -hmm. in Little Rock <laughs> some two years ago and, um, and I told you what I told you. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it still stands true and hearing you talk it's just like this is the like everything that you thought you didn't deserve is about to double fold in your life speak it um, yeah. because speak that. the work that you're doing and the fact that you're not just doing it in colleges but churches like Valerie said, it it is a calling. It can't be. Wow. You you just can't walk into something like what you're doing and just mm. do it without any emotions and it'd be okay. And I think it says a lot that you're a black woman doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And though you know you got your love for HBCUs and our resources are are, are lack, that's a, a calling in itself. That part. <laughs> so you're double you're double called. Oh. Blessings would be doubled. Oh, um, that's how I see it. Yeah. I'm claiming all that. Thank you. There's a good song that talks about that. Mm -hmm. yep. Like blessings on blessings. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I see you. I do. Oh, thank you. 
Hey, that means so much. Like I'm not, I'm a G, so I'm not gonna cry on here. <laughs> All right. Look, I got on, I got on my smart glasses. I told you I can't cry with my smart glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies, um, Valerie and is there anything that you wanna close out on or? No, I love this. I loved it. Awesome. And so many. You've answered so many questions and just, you know, thoughts that I've had and talking to people, especially as it relates to sexual assault, because I've, I've always wanted to know what was the conversation for our students of color, because I, I just felt like it was very whitewashed in the ways that we talked about it. And I felt like we were leaving folks out of the conversation, but nobody knew. Nobody knew what those stats were. That's shocking. I mean, thinking so much that you said is just, you know, kind of ringing true. But the fact that there's only one study that talks about that is so problematic. That's such an issue. Hey, that's, you know, whoever's listening, hint, hint. Please do. <laughs> talk about a gap. Yeah. You talk about a gap in the literature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is a gap. And I want to thank you for the work that you're doing because this work is so necessary and I don't think that people realize how taxing some of the work, you know, that chose us to do it is and can be and how we still have to and are still committed to that work. Um, and it does take a lot to step out and just say, I'm going to do this and, I, and here's how I'm going to do it. And, and you know, you all are the pioneers and that's what I look like, look at, right? There are people out here doing this work and who are just kind of continuing it and taking it in multiple directions, you know, to really up the ante, right? I, as sexual assault is becoming more of the conversation on these campuses, on, on, on campuses and society as a whole, you know, it's a national platform now. It's, it, I mean... There are some other things that I could say in terms of wishing that it could be on everybody's mind from, from the top to the bottom. I do recognize the value and how much value in the work that you do. Um, and I just, man, I hope you just keep on, keep up with it. I, I know you will because this is what you're going to do. And you just seem like it's going to get done because that's what you put your mind to. It has to get done. If I don't do it, who will? And I mean, there are other people. And that's what I want to say. I, I'm also not one of those women to say, this is my lane and this is just mm -hmm. it. No, we need more people to fight. I need yeah. more people on the side of me being advocates and allies because the work is so great. Um, there's room for everybody, you know, and if you can't, if, and, I, and one thing I love, I think Tyler Perry said this, if there is no room at the table, make your own table. Make your own table. And you walk in your own lane and you do how you need to be done for other people. Like I'm always in all of my work, I'm always going to center black and brown people. That is who I, I, I mean, I don't know how I can do anything else. Like I wake up, I say, I can't, I can't change your skin. I change my hair often, but I can't change your skin. <laughs> and, um, and I'm going to honor my ancestors. You know, I, I, I truly believe that I'm honoring my my great-grandmothers, great-great-grandmothers, and for all of the dreams that they have prayed for for themselves and their family, that I have a great responsibility on my shoulder. And so I'm going to continue the, the walk. And I just pray that, you know, I thank you all for people like, for you all in this platform that continues to get the word out um, so that we are teaching and educating other people so that it isn't just a one-woman show, right? Like, I would actually love the group one day to actually have more than me in the group. <laughs> so it'll be a real group. I know, that's right. <laughs> yes. You know, and so I, again, I appreciate you all for we this platform. We appreciate you. You mm -hmm. do it. Appreciate oh, you. you. <laughs> we want to thank you for listening to episode nine of Black Women's Voices. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with our guest, Brianna Hayes. If this is your first time listening, please check out our first eight episodes available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Also, please don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast. We want this platform to reach as many as possible. Thanks for listening, and we will chat with you soon.